Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. If I've done it once, I can do it again. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And this week's episode, we thought we'd have a look at the concept of poverty consciousness or lack mentality, which is basically the idea that you don't believe there's enough of something or that the universe does not have the abundance, the unlimited supply of abundance that you need, whether it's in love, in money, in what else, Jane, in, in any, anything, anything, any area, wants, friendships, anything that Health, you want, correct, spirituality, anything, anything that you want to be coming to you in an unlimited stream. So many of us have these really limiting beliefs about how much we're owed or how much we're due or how much we're worth or allotments, you know, that every, every person only gets so much. Not just that, but what is possible. And you know, there's there. limits. There's such limiting thought belief on what is possible. Like there's this universal quota that once it's used up, that's it, sorry. <laughs> Sit out the rest of the game. Yeah, that's Bing. it. Yes, there's only so many Mercedes-Benz and when they're all gone, you know, if I've missed out, I can't get one. <laughs> and we laugh, but it's, it's sort of crazy that we actually pen ourselves in like this with these extremely limiting, constricting, hold ourselves back type of belief systems. And, and often, and this is something that happens so often uh, in the mind, it's what's called the divine dichotomy. And it's when you actually do believe two opposing truths at exactly the same time. So it is possible to believe two completely opposite things. So you might actually have, for example, a lot of money or be very successful in business, but also have a lack mentality or some sort of belief around other beliefs around Because the lack of- may be... I, I don't believe in lack of money. I believe in abundance of money, but I believe in lack of love. It might be in another area. Right. Um, so, so it's, it's interesting. And this is when, of course, we, we get down and we, we pull our, roll our sleeves up and put our gum boots on and we go down into the mud and into the dregs of the mind and have a look at the ooky stuff that we are enabling deep down in the corners of the shadowy recesses. Jane's got a really cool story that she's going to kick off today's episode with to give, like, to really paint a picture and to give you guys an idea of, of what we're talking about. So back in 1999, I had, just sold my entertainment production company and I'd given birth to my beautiful little baby, my first girl, and I was had a lot of time. I was normally a very, very busy woman, so I had a lot of spare time and I love being creative. So I was always coming up with different ideas and concepts and I love solving problems. So at that time, the internet, the internet, as Beck would say, <laughs> the internet. Information superhighway. Yeah, it was a really new concept. It was a really new thing that people were just starting to get in their homes or in their businesses. And I was really blessed to have access to the internet really early on. Um, I had a friend that had learnt this technology from the States and he'd come here and he wanted a business to practice on. So he got my emails and a website set up very quickly for me, one of the first in South Australia. And so I was really able to be ahead of the game in understanding this technology. So as people were getting the internet, they were learning about Yahoo was the big search engine in those days. so funny. And Ask Jeeves. And it was, you had to learn how to search. What were these keyword things and what were email groups and chat groups and things like that? And so I was spending a lot of time helping people to access this amazing concept, this amazing thing. 
So then I decided to write a television show called The Internet Show. And I, I did it professionally. I'd worked in that field, so I knew what I was doing. And I came up with the sets and uh, the cast, the, the roles, the three cast members of who would be doing what. I had all the subject matters and I wrote, fleshed out eight different episodes of um, all around the internet of what people would be learning. So the idea being that you could watch this show at home and get your, your computers up and, and follow the process of how to learn how to use the internet effectively. So I, in my ignorance, because I'd never pitched a show before, I sent it off to Channel 10 and they um, – and they never heard back. And I thought, well, you know, that's kind of typical. You don't really expect to hear back from big things like that. But it just felt good to get it out there and do it. So then fast forward nine weeks and it was New Year's Day 2000. And my husband yells from the other end of the house, Jane, come and have a look at this. And I walk into the lounge room and on the TV is the internet show. Get out. There's my set. There's the three characters. <gasps> there's the topics. They changed Nothing, nothing at all, not a single thing. And I was gobsmacked, Surely blown this, away. This is like a legal thing, Jane. Happens all the time in the industry. I actually had an intellectual property lawyer in Melbourne who, who specialised in entertainment. And that, the next day I jumped on the phone to him and said, look, this is what's gone down. Right. And he said, Jane, I hate to say this, but he said, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. They've done it. They would have researched you and gone, you're a nothing and they've just gone and taken the idea and done it. And he said, you can sue them, absolutely. You've got proof because I actually had vaulted it. You used to be able to, I don't know if that's what they do now, but you can creatively vault, vault ideas to prove ownership of the original concept and date stamped. Oh, yeah. And so I had done all of that. But he said, um, Channel 10 versus you, they're just going to keep throwing money at it until you've got no money left. Do you want that in your life? And the idea was no, I didn't. But I was bitter. I was really pissed off. So then I got a bit clever and I thought, you know, let's ring up. And I just thought, is it coincidence? Is it that somebody else has come up with the same idea as I have at the same time? Because I believe that is absolutely possible, definitely possible. So I rang the production company and pretended to be another production company and said that I loved what they'd done on the internet show. I read on the credits. You can see who produced it. Rang them, said, I really loved this show that you're doing. It's completely different to a show that we're wanting to get a pilot done, but I wanted to get a cost from you on a similar kind of concept and I need to get a quote from you on doing a pilot. And they said, yep, yeah, no problems. And I said, now what was your lead-in time because this is going to have a short lead-in time. What sort of lead-in time did you have for production of that? And they said, oh, that was really short. We only had six weeks. So that's how I knew it was my draft. Right. It was that one. But they got it. And they, Channel 10 kicked it around for three weeks and then it went into production. Right. So it was absolutely affirmation that it was my show that was produced. So what did I do from there was I was angry for a long time. Until then I realised, holy dooly, my show was good enough to be produced in a really short lead-in time and be launched on the first day of a new millennium with all this amazing new concepts. That's amazing. All that didn't happen was that my name was on it and I didn't get money for it. But neither of those things were important. What was important to me was that this, I had this ability to be able to come up with a really cool thing that a company threw thousands of dollars at and produced and used it in their mainstream scheduling. What 
a validation of my creative ability. Right. And from that day forward, I never, ever worried because if somebody ripped off my idea, who cares? It's only the name. It's only money. And that is it. That's the ego part of it too. That's it, exactly. And there's more where that came from as in there's more ideas. Well, that was the biggest gift I got was that my ideas, I'm not going to live long enough to see fruition of every one of my crazy ideas. Some are great, some are shocking, but who cares? I'm not going to live long enough, so I'm not going to worry about that. Now, the people who rip off ideas, I actually feel sorry for them because that is the only way that they can get creative ideas happening. And I don't have that problem, so I actually feel really blessed. And from that point forward, since then for the next 14 years, I've just had this complete self-belief in my ability to create and come up with stuff for me. Yeah, so you really reframed that one for yourself. Well, you? you had to think about what did I miss out on? What happened there? What was I? What was ripped off? It's only the kudos. And if you want to look at it, money. Do you think that to start with you went into that experience and attracted a fear? I was still very much in my ego at that point. I was very much, you know, the audience is never big enough, the gigs are never big enough, um, look at me, aren't I clever? There was a lot of – this was a long – I had a long way to go in self-love. So um, that was underpinning with a bit of insecurity. So even oh, when, you, totally. when you did that pitch, what do you think was the underpinning vibration at the time? Oh, was that I was wanting um, recognition. Okay. So you, and that's the one thing I didn't get. See, I got, I got every, I got it, I got it all, but I didn't get the recognition. And you had to work on that in other ways, mm. in other areas, in other times later. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That was, yeah. that was a big thing for me. Recognition goes right back to my childhood, where I, um, ten years old, I remember the story, which I won't go into now. It's too long. But the short version is that there was a conversation that happened between my parents and I that was a beautiful conversation. But somehow I distorted my thinking to believe that love, that approval equals love. Okay. And that paved my way for the next however many decades. Yes. If that's what I was doing. So career-wise, it was always about the approval for you. Yeah, it was approval for love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was very distorted. So it wasn't until I really did some deep-seated work and, and, and going on amazing retreats and things that I really came to that clarity and then was able to heal and yes. change that and reframe it and... It's fascinating to hear that because when I was a journalist, you know, and this is the thing, when you are in these highly creative, highly competitive environments, a lot of that rip-off work does happen and and creative ideas being tossed around and stolen and reworked and and all that kind of thing. I mean, part of the way, I mean, when, for example, I worked at this bridal magazine in Sydney for three years and I remember the fashion girls, this wasn't ripping off or copying, it was just considered what you did, like they would spend hours going through all the other bridal magazines, ripping out pages of other fashion shoots, putting them up on the wall and saying, so for our next shoot, let's copy that picture, that picture, that picture, and that picture and make our own thing out of it. But that's where they got their well, ideas from. There's also, that's it, where you get your inspiration from. Yeah. So when I go back to my, you know, I spent 23 years as a choreographer. Now, back in those days, I mean, now it's so easy to be inspired by all these amazing talent shows on TV where you can see incredible, the world's best choreographers and what's going on. We've got the internet where you can be, you know, the world is so tiny now. Yes. Back in my day, you had nothing. You could, if you were lucky, buy a video from overseas of some sort of great awards that had all these terrific dancers in it and then you'd have to get it converted from American version to Australian version. It would, you know, $300 later to get a 20-minute inspiration of some great choreography. 
And so I would often find that my choreography, which was on arenas, would often reappear on the rock and roller Steadfords, the school of Steadfords and that. Right. But it actually never bothered me because I thought we all have to be influenced from somewhere. Yeah. As long as it's not um, it's not taken – I think what disappointed me about that internet show was that it was identical. It was like, you know, have you not got any of your own creative flair in there? Yeah. Um, and I'm inspired. Like I have no doubt subconsciously – um, stolen other people's ideas without a doubt. Yeah. I know that. Um, I have been very conscious my whole life of making sure that if I'm taking inspiration from somebody that it is that I am consciously aware of changing at least 50% or greater yeah. to be able to make it my own or stamp my own energy on it. But I have no doubt that there are things I've done subconsciously that I've gone, oh, that's a good idea, let's do that. And it was something I heard 20 years ago, you know. Yeah. I'd probably do it on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I remember opening up a rival publication at the time and I was at the Bridal Mag and a story that I'd written, um, I don't know, three months prior was basically reproduced with wedding nets. Yeah. And, and it's, it, again, it's kind of small scale in that it's a bridal magazine. Who no, but it's your work and you work. worked hard. I, I actually didn't find, being a choreographer, I actually didn't find it easy. It wasn't a natural thing to me. I actually ended up employing a load of choreographers that were much more talented and, and uh, brilliant than I ever was. And I think that was part of where the sting came from too was that people knew how hard it actually was for me to produce that piece of choreography right? It's because it wasn't easy to me. Like how can someone live with themselves when they actually do steal in that sense? But these are possibly other issues that go off in, into other areas. Um, and, I, you know, what do they say that But I think imitation... there's also a lot of ignorance too. Like there's often inter interim steps. So I remember writing a speech for a graduation ceremony and um, I, when I was asked to give this speech, they threw me some speeches of a couple of people that had done it the years prior okay. so that I had a feel for how long and what sort of content I wanted. And I looked at these speeches and went, I'm not delivering this boring shit. So I wrote something completely different. What did I do? Highly emotional, of course, because that's what we do here on the place. Um, and flicked it through to the person that was had engaged me and they said they loved it, that was great. I did it. Oh, there are all tears in the audience. It all worked really well. It was great. But then... Two years later, somebody delivered the same speech. Wow. But you see, that person wouldn't have realised that that was, do you know what I mean? Like Possible. It, it was it opened well, up. It probably just got bits of it. was. I mean, they get forwarded and kicked around and here's some ideas and someone goes, oh, this is a good idea. Do you know who's by? Oh, no, I don't know. I just found this piece of words. It's good. Use it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. You know, we, we copy things off of the internet all the time. Say, it's right for yeah. children. Well, well, Facebook, I'm always forwarding um uh, those gorgeous little sayings, I've got no idea. They've probably been forwarded 50 million times. Right. I don't know who the original one was. Yes. If I do know, I'll put the name there. Um, and there is that old adage about imitation is a serious form of flattery. So so it's it's a fine line. But, okay, so let's talk about, for example, I was on Tumblr the other day looking at um, everyone had up photos of themselves as couples and stuff. And everyone's just sharing these beautiful, quite romantic pictures. But then one person's kind of got watermarked all over theirs, you know, this is our property, do not use, must have permission to use any of our photos anywhere appearing, anywhere else on the internet. And it's like the fact that they have to say that automatically almost makes you want to go and use it just because they're being so annoying. <laughs> and, and it's like, but, but that's that classic law of, um, what is it? It's, it's, it's almost like, a, yeah, that back to the lack mentality. I wonder what, what the law would be, law of fear of just not having enough because, or, or fear of things being taken or threatened. It's like the See, I think the, the, the better way, exactly, the better way to do it is go, 
here's our stuff. We would love it if you want to use it. Please credit our website. I, but do you know what I You know, think? because actually somebody might tweet it or Instagram well, it or whatever maybe. and then you've got, you know, you're off the It's just like, do you know what? It's the world we live in. Let go. Totally. The fact that you even have to put anything on anything. Look, I understand if, if you're But I think if it's a commercial, if you are a that's it, if it's a commercial thing. For a living, if you yes. are a novelist for a living. Yes. You know, fine. Um but if you're a kid putting photos up on Tumblr, you don't need to watermark your wedding photos saying don't pinch, steal, reproduce. Come on. <laughs> like, asking for it to happen. What is that all about? So it's interesting because this stuff is like it's the reverse of the law of attraction type stuff. Uh, well, it's not no, the reverse actually. Actually, it's exactly the same it's because the same it's thing. actually it's a bit your of, fear is going to be brought to you. for the shadow side rather right. than the positive That's side. That's it. So what you fear will be brought to right. you. Right. And, you know, Jane and I have talked a lot in the past about, you know, the flawed problems with things like The Secret and in ways that people misunderstand manifesting or law of attraction or that, that like attracts like and those sorts of things. I've heard, I've heard a lot of spiritual people say lately that law of attraction is probably not the best way to, to explain it. I don't use that any longer. I actually use law of vibration. Okay. And the other two that I've heard are law of perception and law of correspondence. Ooh. I know. So. God, that sounded like Prue from Cap and Kim. Prue, Prue, I know. So it's, yeah, so like say law of perception. So it's not, it's not about magnetizing things to you. It's about how you perceive yourself and then hence how reality obviously mirrors that back to you, right? So with the law of attraction, like there's sort of this idea that let's imagine a donkey with a stick tied to his collar with a carrot hanging on the front of the stick and he wants the carrot. So he's kind of, he's doing everything to try and chase the carrot and find the carrot and make the carrot come true and bring it closer to him. You know, it's all that kind of just, yeah, to get it nearer to me, to attract it in. He's never going to get that carrot. It's on the end of a stick. There's always going to be a gap between him and the carrot as long as he thinks he has to attract it in, you know. And this goes into that deeper level work about that donkey, Jane, already has the carrot inside him. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that stuff like the stuff that we think we are so far away from. Like maybe it's I want money or I want the perfect relationship or whatever it is, you know, love, money. It's all of those beautiful values and vibrations are already encoded in who we are because we're part of the universe. We're made of the same stuff as the oneness that's all around us. So, so it's more about finding what's blocking it. Yeah, it's because taking it the walls away. It's not that you have to go and get it or make it happen or try and yeah remove, I don't know, obstacles. What, 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 what was that book I referenced in last week's podcast? Um, the, the Giant Leap? The, the Giant Leap, leap that's leap. it. Big Leap, Giant Leap, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Now he talks about the upper limit, which I touched on very briefly last week. Right. And these are what the this is the same thing. It's this upper limit is that so what is it that is blocking your belief that you are abundant in everything in your life, in every area, that you are not divinely magnificently connected to all that ever is, all that will be, all that can be. So that's where we've got to get to down the rabbit hole is to find out what that blockage is. Yeah. And that is what we are vibrating at, which is why the vibration stops. You know, that's where you'll only allow so much love in your life. You will only allow all that person that they've got financial abundance, but they haven't got love abundance because they've got a blockage that says you can't have it all. Right. 
we actually believe we can't have it all. And and it's really interesting that you he'll often he talks about how when you hit your upper limit, you've just done something, you've nailed something amazing. Instantly you've picked a fight with somebody. Right. Instantly you've got sick. Instantly something negative has happened to keep you within your limit. How often do we hear these stories? Something right. good happens and something bad happens. And yes. Yes. And this, this is what he's saying is our upper limit is that we deliberately bring in the self-sabotaging behavior to keep us within the limit that we subconsciously or consciously believe that we are worthy, worthy of. Yes. Yeah, it makes absolutely perfect sense to me. So when, once we start to – and a really cool tip that I've been doing recently because I've just started to reread this book since we um, talked about it in last week's podcast. It's brilliant. I don't know why I didn't – I didn't finish it last time, so it was obviously not the right time for me to read yeah. it or whatever yeah. or I had other things that were more pressing, um, is I've just started to observe – so when things are negative, it's easier for to, us to become aware of the negative and I've started to then acknowledge that something negative has just happened and then look at what has just preceded that and it was something good and I'm cracking my limits and I'm stopping myself from moving from the zone of excellence into the zone of genius because I'm not allowed to go there yet because I haven't got more stuff to clear yet so I can get there. Right. Yeah, Does that make sense? Gay Hendricks is the name of the author. For those who want to look it up, ah, fantastic! It's, it's the big league. And look, cheap. You can get it. You know, no ten bucks on on your e format. Yeah, um, Kindles, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Great, great read. So much. I do, but there's another part I want to talk about with fear that he talks about in another episode. Yeah. But um, I feel that that is coinciding with this inability to truly believe that we can have abundance in all areas and that there isn't doesn't need to be a lack this goes back to what, how we're framing it today is that we're saying you are abundance you are unlimited love you are wealth that you've never known it's the walls and the blocks that you put up to it within yourself according to how you judge and view yourself as as to how much you're worth or able to enjoy and to have that and a really cool thing to do is every time you go to the atm just imagine that you are withdrawing from the unlimited abundance of the universe. You know, it's just it's just ways to reframe it in your mind. I'm not saying be silly about it. <laughs> hey, let's just touch on money too, because there is. Um, I mean, a lot of people struggle with that. They they really and really our gorgeous, rich, spiritual, divine, consciously aware listeners. I would like every one of them to be a squillionaire because then they're just going to really talk the language to everybody by being the light being the example showing that true abundance can be in all forms and and often money is one of the one it's a symbol that our western world respects and honors so i think it's a pretty cool one now i'm just quickly getting up on my ipad my library because there's an amazing book about money called the trick to having uh, sorry start again the trick to money is having some now, this is by Stuart Wilde, and he's now crossed over. He's in the other dimension, um, and it's a fascinating book. His story, very briefly, was a, a squillionaire at a very young age, like in his mid-20s or something in London, and he just started to become more consciously aware of, of life and the game, as he calls it. And one day he just checked out and he just dropped his keys to his multimillion-dollar apartment down the grid in the street mm -hmm. 
and walked out of life and started doing all sorts of amazing teaching work and healing work and writing books. And now I'm not encouraging people to do that. I've got no desire to do that. <laughs> but he, I guess what I'm saying is that he walks his talk and he's a very interesting character. Now, Stuart Wilde is um, spelt uh, W, oh, now I've just lost it here. There it is, W-I-L-D-E. So the trick to money is having some, and there's some really cool stuff in there about mindset around money and illusions, which is what prompted me when Beck said you're drawing your money out the ATM from the abundance of, of the universe. Yeah, there's some really cool stuff that's been popping up lately on your YouTubes and your Facebooks to confront our beliefs and paradigms around needing to have security, you know, salaries and health insurance and car insurance and assets and portfolios and shares and stocks. You know, this is such Western stuff, isn't it? There's that woman, I think she's German. I haven't seen the video for a while. And the video has actually been going around for years, I think. But it's getting a lot of traction at the moment. She's She has no money. She, she's She's decided to not have anything to do with money in this lifetime. So no bank accounts, no money, no coins, no nothing. And so she gets by on her belief that the universe is a giving, loving, providing place. Wow, so, that's walking your talk. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> she does things like she will ask people to stay over or to stay with them. People always say, yes, you can sleep here for the night or spare bed. So she doesn't have a home? She's got nothing. No home. She, she actually is dressed quite nicely, but, you know, who knows? She probably says... Do you have any spare clothes? Do you have anything that's going to goodwill that you don't need? Is there anything you could share with me? And I presume she would return those gifts in other ways because you've always got to have the barter or the exchange of energy for these yeah. things to work. Um, obviously, she's well fed. I mean, I, it didn't. I haven't seen the whole movie. I've only seen the trailer. So I, I would presume it would go into things like what she does. If, for example, she has a healthcare issue or things like that. If she needs to get somewhere transport-wise, how she would deal with that. I mean. I don't know if she couldn't fly anywhere, um, but she does go in and speak to schools and she talks to the kids about how it is possible to, because it's tapping into the deeper qualities of believing in yourself, you know, trusting in the universe, surrendering to where life takes you, going with the flow. And actually, it is a big test, isn't it? Yeah. It's an ultimate test to actually really, truly yeah. surrender. This is why the monks go barefoot and take begging bowls and, and decide to not have any possessions in the world and just walk around and, and trust on the good faith that the universe will look after them and it always does, you know. Um, there was a guy I knew that um, went overseas and basically just hitchhiked around Turkey and Greece with nothing and was totally fine because every day ne the next thing happens. New things are called in, new experiences pop up, you meet people, that leads to things, you just keep following your heart and you just keep trusting you know, I had a client the other week, a young girl who's worked very hard since she was 18 years old. She's now hitting her satin return, so she's on 29. And she says, I'm just going to get in my car and drive. And she says, I don't know where I'm going and I'm not coming back. I've let go of everything. Well, she's about to leave work in, say, a few months' time. And she says, and when that happens, I'm just I'm just going. And wow. she says, I've got a lot of fears That's about very that. Cool. But she says, but at the same time, I know it's going to be fine. And I said, it will be. It we spend a lot of time worrying, don't we, that we don't need to worry about instead of actually gathering the evidence that all is well. Yeah. I remember when I really got on that cellular level, all is well. And it just is. Good mantra, that one. Well, I actually ended up painting on, I got one of those, you know, those three canvases that you have that are, you, you have artwork that 
lines up. It's got a gap in between each one. Yes. And and I did some nice little fluffy things on them. But each one had the different word, all is well, and it's up on my wall in um, in my pink room. Um, and I actually at one point thought I might get it tattooed on me because I just think it's one of those things that cool. constantly need to remind myself that all is well. Mm. It absolutely is. It's just not. It doesn't make sense for it to not be. That this book about the big leap or the giant leap that we were talking about, the first few chapters are amazing in there where he talks about worry and he says we are programmed by default for thousands of years to worry. That's what we do. And he said when people worry, they stop breathing. Now, I think I've shared on this podcast before that when people have got a thought process and they want to say something, they hold their breath and they stop listening. So when you have a fear problem or a fear or negative thought process comes into your mind, you actually are holding your breath. So all he says to do is take three deep breaths and the thought goes. Now, I've been testing this over the last few weeks. It works. Wow, that's so simple and so cool. It is. This I want people to get this book. It's amazing. So simple. Oh, I love it. I love it. And uh, so if we can remove the fear of the negative by just realising it's it's a default mechanism that we're going to retrain ourselves out of mm. and then sitting in the mantra of all is well mm. and believing with surrender that we are connected to everything that is abundant within the world, within the universe, Yeah, go get your stuff. I remember one of the very first psychics I ever saw back way, 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 way back when, and she wasn't a very clear, you know, what I mean by that channel. She had a lot of her own agendas and issues and stuff going on. And she said to me, now, you know, if you ever get a really good idea, hold on to it very tightly because once you start thinking about it, it goes up into the ether and then other people can intuit it and they can grab it too and steal it from you. And this is what I'm talking about today, people. It's that if you ever catch yourself thinking a thought anything like that there is some work to be done if i've done it once i can do it again and you can (laughs) you gotta believe that you can so thank you for listening to us today and actually i think jane and i jane and i are so content in our beliefs in abundance and and we're going to trust the universe that we're not going to do a single plug we're just going to say goodbye go and live a beautiful week and we trust that you might be back another time Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening, and it's a beautiful day.